Welcome to Close Up. I'm Kelly Carter, and I don't normally sound this sultry, but allergies, am I right? But you know what? As my guests on this week's show might say, the show must go on. Steven Spielberg joins the show with Rachel Zegler, his star in his reimagining of West Side Story. Together, they talk with me about their hit film, which has earned seven Oscar nominations, including Best Picture and Best Director. And get this, Steven Spielberg, and I know you all know who he is because he's been making movies for more than 50 years now, becomes the first person nominated for Best Director Oscar in six different decades. He actually beat his own record there. So, you know, a key to Spielberg's staying power really is his willingness to take risks and innovate and adapt with the times. Instead of scouring Broadway to find his star, Rachel Zegler, who played Maria, he took to social media to find someone fresh and someone who was truly special. I feel pretty, oh so pretty. I feel pretty and witty and bright. And in case you're wondering, more than 30 thousand hopefuls sent in submissions hoping to perform for Steven Spielberg. Rachel is the first Latina Maria, and you'll hear her talk more about this later in our interview. I mean, look, this is a movie about race relations in New York City between white people and between Puerto Ricans. And in this remake, every actor playing a Puerto Rican character is of Latin descent. Imagine that. I like to be in America. Okay, by me. Spielberg's had a long career, as we know. And later in the show, I chat with my Hollywood reporter friends, a couple of Spielberg buffs who've been following him for a really long time. And they helped me dissect his career and his legacy. But first, here's my conversation with Rachel Zegler and the legend himself, Steven Spielberg. Mr. Spielberg, want to start with you. You have been making films as a feature-length director for 50 years. So what was it about West Side Story that made you want to direct this story at this time? I've, I've been in love with the music since I was a kid. I 10 years old, my parents bought the, brought home the Broadway original cast album. Um, and uh, I just, I just ate it up. And I, it was, it, be, it became my anthem, you know, somewhere and, and as well as something's coming. I, I used to always hum something's coming when I was first starting direct directing, which gave me confidence that maybe something good would happen if I kept making television shows, somebody would hire me for a feature. Mm. So the song Something's Coming continued to like so echo sweet. in my brain over and over and over again. Something's coming, I don't know what it is. But you know, you know, um and 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 everybody would always say, you've done this genre and done that genre. What haven't you done? And I always said two things. I always said, I've never done a musical. I've never done a Western. Those are the two things I used to always say. And I really have much more interest in in musical idiom than I do in Westerns. And so this was just inevitable that I would make a musical someday. And the only musical I could think to that I I was so in love with that I would spend my time um, basically uh, repurposing for this current generation was West Side Story, arguably the greatest American musical ever mounted for the Broadway stage. You know, you've helped to launch or amplify many careers over the years. I'm guessing that Rachel is experiencing some of that Spielberg magic right now. (laughs) What elements do you look for in young talent? And then, Rachel, I want to bring you in and hear what it was like to work with Spielberg on West Side Story. Mm. Uh, You know, 
here I go, quoting another musical from, from I think this is Guys and Doll. And this applies not just to Rachel, but to all casting. It's the song, I'll Know When My Love Comes yep, that's Along. that's Guys and Dolls. Good job. That's Guys and Dolls. Good job. <laughs> I'll Know When My Love Comes Along. I'll know. You know it. You know it at a glance. The yeah. problem is you have to listen to your heart, not listen to your head. So I saw Rachel. She was the second person I, I saw a year before she got the part. I could not believe her talent. I could not believe her instrument. I couldn't believe her range. Mm. And I also couldn't believe that I wasn't going to find somebody better than Rachel uh, <laughs> in, in 30 days. Cause who has this kind of good yeah. luck finding the Maria on the first day of casting with 30,000 people submitting their self tapes, their, their singing uh, uh, for four different roles. And if I had trusted my heart, I wouldn't have tortured her for a year. A year. But because intuitively I know she was my Maria, but I had to see who else was out there and no one came close. Yeah. And what about you, Rachel? What was it like uh, working with him? There's a lot of trust. I think that, I mean, it's evident in the way that the performances turn out and the way that that Steven's films turn out when you take a chance on young talent. There's a mutual trust and respect that needs to be there. And obviously, I have huge admiration for all of Steven's work. I grew up watching E.T. and Indiana Jones. And I think when I first met you, I told you that Lincoln yeah. was my favorite movie. Ooh. And you told me that I was the youngest Lincoln fan because I was only like 11 <laughs> when it came out. Um, but I mean, even then it was just this, this immediate trust and connection that you and I both had. Yeah. And, and I knew that I wanted to work with you mm-hmm. when I left every single audition saying, if that's it, that's fine. I've had yeah. this and that's enough. We've had today and that's great. Um, and it ended up working in my favor, but that's a testament to what it's like working with someone who really cares about what they do for a living. And, and I don't think Steven takes it for granted. And therefore that fostered an environment of a bunch of people, crew, cast, creative team alike, who didn't take any of those days for granted. And that's what it's like to work on a Steven Spielberg set. I love hearing that. What was it like? What was it like for you to step into this iconic role as uh, as Maria? I mean, it's a huge honor. I, I'm the first Latina to play Maria on screen. Um, I think I'm also one of the first Marias with some agency, and that is thanks to Tony Kushner's brilliant writing. I'm a grown up now, Bernardo. I'm gonna think for myself. Um, there were a lot of conversations about authenticity, especially nowadays in in mass media production. What does representation look like? And there were a lot of really amazing conversations we were all able to have because having this authentic Latin cast, which is mm. the first time on screen that it's happened for West Side Story, yeah. uh, there were a lot of lived experiences that we were able to incorporate into our performances. And so I shied away from any other iteration of the portrayal of Maria. I didn't, you know, once I got the part, I did not watch the original film. I didn't, you know, I didn't sit there and listen to Carol Lawrence in 1957 over and over again, Mm -hmm. because I knew that no matter what, there was going to be comparison. And I needed to shy away from that myself and eliminate that for myself. It adds this unnecessary pressure that wasn't needed and wasn't forced on us by anyone one at the helm of our film. So, um, you know, when it comes to taking on such an iconic role, it's not the role you remember. It's not so black and white. It's not, he killed my brother, but I love him. So I forgive him. There's, you know, the wheels are turning the whole time. There's a lot that's going through Maria's mind. She's 18 years old. She knows, you know, nothing about anything, but she knows everything about everything or so she thinks. And I think that makes her really, really special. Yeah. You know, I want to, I want to kind of stay there because you said something I think was really important. 
you know, Mr. Spielberg, we waited such a long time for your version of West Side Story to hit. One reason for that anticipation is because we don't get to see Latinx representation as much as we should on film. And one of the bigger talking points uh, last award season was that if this film had been released last year, perhaps we would see more Latinx representation with regards to nominations. Um, I'm guessing that you knew going into this release in late 2021 that people would want to instantly talk about what West Side Story might do during the 2022 award season. What do you make of that? And how hard is it for you to create art knowing that it's almost always going to be talked about as an awards contender, considering all of your previous work? You know, something uh, the same way that Rachel just answered the question that she didn't listen to Carol Lawrence's performance uh, on the original Broadway cast album because she wanted to find her own way into the, to, to the character. Mm. I sort of feel the same way uh, in, in that I'm only looking, I'm only looking one day at a time. I'm looking ahead one day at a time. Yeah. I do that when I direct. Mm. When I direct a movie, if I actually anticipated week three in week one, I'd go crazy. I would, if I really saw the mountain ahead of me, and the first week of shooting that I had, I have to get up to the top of that mm -hmm. in four months. How am I going to get up to the top of that thing in four months? I, I, I'd probably go nuts. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm taking one day at a time on West Side Story. And so far, I am so happy with where we are at this moment in That's time. That's amazing. You know, at this point, Mr. Spielberg, you are the most commercially successful director of all time. So after 50 years, you don't have to do just anything so what does it take to get Steven Spielberg to say yes to directing movies? You know something? It, it's the only person to get me to say yes to directing movies is me. <laughs> <laughs> um, however, having said that, this was such a scary proposition. Mm. Making West Side Story, obviously mm. an iconic 1961 classic. And I had such a desire to reimagine it for this generation. Um, I chickened out four or five times along the way of developing the script with Tony and, the, and then even in the casting process, I was questioning my choice. Mm. And it was my wife that always said, each time I said, I'm really nervous, I'm really scared. She was the one that said, don't be scared. Mm -hmm. This is the right time to put something like this out. You know, you know, this is the time that the people are ready to hear a story that maybe they weren't ready for at, in 1957 on stage. Yeah. When the issues were just street gangs in New York City, but not such polarization and, and national discrimination and so much that's happening to divide our country wider than it's been divided since before the Civil War. And she just said, there's value to the story. Uh, you can be scared all you want, but you're not getting out of it. <laughs> and I have to give her credit for that. Yeah. <laughs> Rachel, what's the best advice he gave you while you were working on this project? Oh my goodness. I'm, there's a plethora, truly, whether it had to do with, you know, the film or not. But I will say on my first day of working, it wasn't supposed to happen when it did. It was rain cover. Um, but That's it's the right. scene where Tony and Maria first meet under the bleachers. There was like, mm -hmm. uh, there were kisses involved and there was all of these things I was terrified to do. And um, he came up to me and he's like, are you scared? <laughs> I was like, 
yes. And he told me to use it to propel, to propel myself forward, to propel the scene forward, to incorporate it because Maria would be scared too. And it was something that I really hadn't even considered somehow in my anxious fit. And, um, and I carried it with me throughout the entire time. And it's actually become a tactic in a lot of my performances, just thinking about when is my character fearful and, and using my own anxiety that I have whenever I step onto a set um, to use that skill and to use it, to propel it forward. Right. Good advice. I love you're that. like you're like really good at this. Yeah, I've been doing it for fifty years. What can I tell you? <laughs> you got you got promise. You got it's only fifty years in the game. I mean, I think he's gonna do yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, been I around the block a few times. I think he's here to stay. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of, you know, what film of yours, Mr. Spielberg? As you look back over these last fifty years, do you think really defines your work best? Well, you know, I, I I think that I'm constantly, all of us are constantly learning and we're changing and we're, we're not the same person today that we were last week. I think all of us should embrace the fact that we are a composite of everything, mm-hmm. every experience we've ever had, every friend we ever made, every child we brought into the world. And I think we're all shape-shifting uh, continuously through our lives. So each one of the movies I've made is just a, sh- a shape-shift. Mm-hmm. It's just a, a facet of the whole. It's just a composite of a lot of my eclectic interest about being alive at this time in my life. Oh, I love that. And what still excites me about the movie making is what Rachel just said too about being scared. Mm-hmm. Uh, fear is my fuel. Fear drives me. If I come to a set confident, I'm not going to have any good ideas that day. <laughs> if I come to the set with with chutzpah, but, with not, but not strong confidence, uh, I scrambled to make things up to basically find my my footing. Mm. And so I, I always f- found the fear is my fuel. And um, that's, what's exciting about getting up every morning to go to the set, no matter what the film is. Fear is your fuel. So one day we'll see that Spielberg Western, maybe, maybe not. The final frontier. In the wild. <laughs> that's a good title. There we go. Yeah. Say, wait a second. Star Trek. No, nope, yeah, Star we Trek can't use it. That. We, we can't, can't use that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Maybe no questions. Fair enough. Mr. Spielberg, Rachel, thank you guys so much for taking time to chat with me today. I do appreciate it. Nice talking thank to you. you. Thank so you. Nice so nice to talk much. to you. You know, I'm still going to hold out hope against hope for that Spielberg Western, but we're going to take a quick break. And after the break, two fans and experts of Steven Spielberg and his work, who also have a story or two about the filmmaker you may not have heard before. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I loved getting to hear from Spielberg and Rachel Zegler about bringing West Side Story to life. But now I want to bring in two film experts who also happen to be good buddies of mine. Scott Hoover, longtime Hollywood reporter. Thank you for doing this today, Scott. Hi, Kelly. Glad to be here. Absolutely. And of course, Anthony Bresnikan, who is a Hollywood correspondent for Vanity Fair. Thank you so much for joining me today, Bresnikan. It's great to hang out with you again, Kelly. 
All right, so I want to start here playing a little bit of a getting to know you, but Spielberg style. Uh, what is your favorite Spielberg movie? For me, it should have been E.T. because I was like four or five years old. I used to beg my parents to go take me to see it. You would think that because I was the target, that would be my favorite Spielberg film. But actually, it's the color purple. I loved seeing the two little black girls at the beginning of the movie playing the hand clap game. And then, of course, I became obsessed with Oprah Winfrey and also Sophia, her character. So that's my pick for my favorite Spielberg film. What about you guys? Brez, let's start with you first. Well, that's a great one. And uh, God, there's so many to choose from. It makes it really hard, hard to select. But so I would, many, you know. For every one I choose, I would I, I'm like no 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 not that one another one but I'm just gonna stick with Raiders of the Lost Ark for the same reason of like you know it, it goes back to childhood and I remember seeing that movie when I was a little boy and seeing the faces melt freaking out shut your eyes Mary and don't look at it no matter what happens and being reassured by my dad that it's just visual effects that's not an actual they didn't really melt a person so uh uh yeah that that memory is still very vivid 40 some years later oh my god the face is melting haunted me at <laughs> night for real uh scott what about yourself <laughs> you know for for years i would have said raiders um mm. but i've come to realize that it's actually jaws jaws is a movie that i watch at Ooh. least yeah. once a year it's perfect. It's just a perfect film. And it holds up like gangbusters. You're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> Another movie that terrified me at night. Um, so thank you guys for giving me new night nightmares in 2022. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> but for now, let's uh, get into West Side Story. This is Spielberg's first musical. How did he do? Uh, I think the critical consensus is uh, correct, that it was spectacular and a real breath of fresh air into a musical that's what more than six decades old now. Uh, mm. It felt very vital to me, and uh, I thought he did a beautiful job reimagining it, and I, I think he owes a, a, a great debt to Tony Kushner, his screenwriter, for... Uh, for really uh, updating and freshening the text mm. and the dialogue. Mm. I, I couldn't have been more skeptical going in. Really? I didn't know why this movie needed to yeah. exist and why Spielberg needed to use his talents mm -hmm. on it. And I was completely won over by it. I thought he did a fantastic job. It felt fresh. It felt new. He had amazing discoveries of new talent. He made... Tremendous use of Rita Moreno. What's forever? Like, I want to be with you forever. You don't want to start maybe with, I'd like to take you out to coffee? No. Come on. I want to take you to a shop full of nuts for a cream cheese sandwich on a raisin bread. This ain't casual like that. Oh. If you don't fall in love with her from this movie, it's, I don't know what's wrong with you. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I and the, the seamless way that he transitioned from the the regular drama action to the musical numbers was so it, it, i haven't ever seen a movie be quite so effective in making that transition i had the same reaction yeah. like why is this movie being made who needs it if you want west side story there mm -hmm. it is on your streaming service or in your vhs collection <laughs> like everybody's owned this movie in every possible format for a long time and uh and yet it's clear that he had something new he thought he could bring to it. And uh, I, I think maybe the somewhat lower box office 
for the film mm. is just a reflection of the lack of urgency that people feel. But I do think that they're going to discover this movie when they get a chance to watch it and really be just as surprised and blown away by it as the as the two of us. How did you feel, Kelly? You liked it? You know, I liked it. And for me, and it's crazy because I know that this film was actually completed before the insurrection of January 6th last year. Mm-hmm. But to me, it almost felt like an immediate response to that, to Proud Boys, to MAGA. And maybe I was just reading too much into it, but I, I kind of carried that throughout the entirety of the film. And I just kept thinking about, you know, the racial tensions of the 1950s and kind of where we are, you know, right now too. And it just felt like, mm-hmm. sadly, perfectly aligned. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that we know a little bit about Spielberg's politics, but it just felt, you know... Um, it felt like a response to the world that we actually are still living in right now. Did you guys pick up on any of that too? Or am I alone here with that? I feel like he's got, he's got some kind of radar, you know, when he was younger, his radar was for capturing that sense of wonder. E.T. Can you say that? Can you say E.T. 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 These days it feels like he knows how to make, the more serious-minded movies at the right moment. And I feel like, he, you know, West Side Story is about nothing but tribalism. And that really translated. And I think that it came at a moment there must he must have some sixth sense that this was a movie that was kind of necessary because I didn't, yeah. I didn't imagine that when I thought about him remaking it. And that's what really comes through is you're like, you know, same old problems, different year. Hmm. Yeah. You know, Kelly, you mentioned the the color purple uh, earlier in our conversation. And, you know, I think there was a question of like, well, was he the right filmmaker to make that story? It was one he cared about. Uh, it wasn't his lived experience. But I do I, – I think his, his, Spielberg's actual lived experience is that he he's tremendously – attuned to unfairness and injustice. And Mm. that serves him well in storytelling, Mm. right? Because it gives you heroes to root for and bad guys to root against. And I think uh, as he's gotten older, that's gotten more nuanced. And yet throughout his life, he has always tried to explore stories that are about bringing a sense of fairness to the world. Mm. Until you do right by me, everything you think about is gonna crumble. Don't do it, Miss C. He ain't worth it. He ain't worth it. Tilting the balance in favor of right, away from wrong. It sounds very simple. It sounds a little maybe childish. But uh, how important is it, too, to maintain that clarity and to have that sense? It is. And you know what? Like Color Purple and like West Side Story, while those aren't his lived experiences, certainly looking at it from Mm -hmm. like a person of color, point of view um he brings in people on the producer side of things to help him flesh that out which i think probably makes him one of the smartest men in the room like he knew he had to bring in rita moreno for for this new iteration of west side story quincy jones was on the color purple and i would imagine if we probably looked at other films that he's done over the years we might see a similar pattern probably right Mm-hmm. And his yeah. gift, except for the dinosaurs and aliens. <laughs> well, well, who, who's gonna be the expert on those things? Yeah, those guys—they never have representation. <laughs> they never have representation. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Spielberg has basically done every genre that there is: action, catch if you can, 
thriller, Scott's favorite movie, Jaws, sci-fi, E.T., adventure, Indiana Jones, and of course, drama with the color purple. Oh, wait. And he also did fantasy with Hook, too. I really like that film, actually. Historical with Schindler's List. There's almost nothing that this man can't do. So, of course, he wanted to do a musical. But what is it that you think that he does best? You know, like, is there any genre that you would politely ask Mr. Spielberg to never do again? Is there something that you would welcome him to do more of? He's not fared well with romantic stories. Um, Surprisingly, things like Always Mm. and The Terminal have been a little on the clunky side, especially like the comedic elements of of these, these things. So I don't know that I need to see another one from him. Um, He mentioned in the interview that he wants to do a Western and I I'll buy that ticket right now. I want to see how that goes. Yeah. Yeah. Same, same. I, I, I hear what you're saying there. When, when, whenever an artist falls short on a, a particular uh, subject or genre, I kind of want them to try again, you know? Like, so I'm like, is there a, is there a mm. romance that he can tell? I think maybe comedy is a little <laughs> tough for Steven because he can have funny bits in his movies, but he's, he's just a really earnest guy. And, you know, sometimes that's just who you are and you got to lean into it. So maybe he doesn't have to, I don't think like really dark, dry, sardonic comedy is his thing. That's just not the kind of person he is, not the way he sees the world. I want to throw in one more thing. I remember asking a few years ago I, when Kathleen Kennedy was still producing most of his movies, um, if he'd ever thought mm. about doing something super stripped down the way that like Alfred Hitchcock did Psycho with like a TV unit Ooh. and, you know, just get really back to basics because I'm such a big fan of Jaws and I love Duel. And Kathleen said that he, at the level of filmmaker that he is now, she didn't want to see him do that because she felt he needed every color in the palette to work with and he everything should be big Mm. with him and i can't disagree with that but i still have this fantasy of seeing him do something real lean and mean well i think that goes back to what we were talking about earlier and this sense of you know you said how he brought in people who had lived experience that he didn't have to uh to share that it's like his his creative palette is expanding to like draw in reality i think that's Mm. why he's been moving more toward history and uh, and things like West Side Story, while it's not contemporary, it's still very present, yeah. as you mentioned, Kelly. Yeah. You know, and, and I joked about how you know his one type of movie that he doesn't consult with the 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 beings he's representing are like dinosaurs and aliens. I mean, that's just a joke, <laughs> but uh, but uh, I know for a fact on West Side Story that not only did he have uh, Rita Moreno there, uh, you know, who lived this with this show back when it was first uh, produced for the screen. But he also, uh, she told me he brought in people who lived in that neighborhood who were teenagers at the time. Mm. They're old people now, Mm. you know, Uh, those who've survived uh, the decades. But they would talk about what it was like to live back then. And even she said there was a time where where the sharks and the jets were scattering. She told the actors playing the Puerto Rican kids, she's like, listen... Puerto Rican kids, like, <laughs> you need to run faster. You're going to get killed when the police show up. These boys will get arrested. The white kids will get arrested, but you will get killed. So run. And she, like, curses them out. If <laughs> You can what? imagine, like, wow, little old Rita Moreno, like, telling them to be scared, like, about what it was like to live in that neighborhood in that time and feel the legitimate threat of, uh, of, of really being pushed around and also potentially killed. 
Anthony, that was an amazing nugget. And I want to hear some more because you have interviewed Spielberg so many times over so many years. And no, I am not calling you old, but I am (laughs) saying that you have studied him and you've written countless articles about him. Is there a nugget or an insight or a thing that people, you know, should know about him or his films that maybe people don't know? Uh, Yeah, I think it goes back to back when you and I used to work together at USA Today back in the mid-2000s. That's when I really started forging a relationship with him and interviewing him over multiple films. Mm -hmm. And the first one that I had a really in-depth interview with him was on uh, uh, War of the Worlds. You know, everybody was making the connection to um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind at E.T., here's Spielberg and Aliens together again. And I asked him whether growing up in Arizona – had an impact on his feelings about outer space and mystery and the wonders beyond our planet, because the skies there are so clear. Like if you guys have ever visited, mm-hmm. you know, the desert, yeah, it, you know, it's so different from anywhere on the coast because there's no humidity. And so you've got like these light shows every night. And he said, yeah, that's exactly true. And he kind of lit up and he told me this story about his dad waking him up in the middle of the night in late August uh, taking him out on the lawn where he had a couple of chairs set up and they sat there and he was really scared. Like your dad is waking you up in the middle of the night. Like what's happening? What's going on? I think Stephen is above all a very empathetic, but also very nervous person. <laughs> and so <laughs> he was a little freaked and his dad said, no, no, just calm down. Like, just look, just watch with me. And they watched the Perseid meteor shower, which comes every August. Mm. And Stephen just sat there with his dad at like, I think he was six or seven years old, watching meteors streak across the sky, watching falling stars. And whenever I see a falling star in one of his movies, I think of that moment that he lived in real life and how he puts that moment in so many of his films. A little, I think a little, a little signal to his dad, you know, even when, when they were estranged or going through hard times. Like, I remember you remember this moment. Do you? That's amazing. And maybe that's how we get to five plus decades now of uh, of filmmaking. Anthony and Scott, thank you guys so much for joining me today and having this conversation. I appreciate it. And I know that all of our uh, fellow movie nerds out there listening really appreciate the insight that you guys gifted us today. So thank you. Always fun to talk about movies with you, Kelly. (laughs) Next next time in person. Next time in person, right? (laughs) Yeah. Man, I love talking with my movie nerd friends. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to that too. I thought those stories are really cool. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for bearing with my allergy robbed voice. If you like this show, leave us a rating and review it. It really goes a long way and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Next time on Close Up, Oscar nominee Anjanou Ellis tells me film is a lot more to her than just entertainment. Cinema has to be the place where we can really educate this country about who we are as Americans because they don't want to see it in the classrooms. From the six-time Oscar-nominated film King Richard, Anjanou Ellis joins me. That's next time on Close Up. Close Up is a production of ABC Audio. It's produced by Vika Aronson, Carrie Ann Thomas, and David Toledo, with help from Matt Wolf, Josh Cohan, Brenda Salinas Baker, Ariel Chester, Mary Pat Thompson, Elizabeth Russo, and Stacia Deshishku. Lakia Brown is our senior producer, and Liz Alessi is our executive producer. 
Talk soon.